You're listening to Festival Grass. A podcast diving into the business and culture of the music festival world. Well, welcome everybody to the newscast in this week's edition. Shambhala Music Festival to open a campground for summer 2021. Dutch government supports live events with 300 million euro COVID cancellation fund. Watch the dazzling official Tomorrowland New Year's Eve after movie. There's a new music and arts festival planned in Black Rock Desert, but it's not Burning Man. EDM artists react to the tragic death of Sophie. Coachella 2021 canceled following public health emergency order. But first, it's time for men, all men, in the music industry to step up. This article here first appearing in the spin-off, a magazine out of New Zealand. Yesterday, an open letter penned by musician Anna Coddington was made public amid the fallout of Alison Miles' expose for Stuff magazine of the predatory behavior of two senior music executives, co-signed by Lord, Bic Runga, Anik Moa, Tammy Nielsen, Holly Smith, and Mel Persons, the letter states that if the job of artists is to be vulnerable enough to create moving music, then the job of those in the music industry is to support artists without crossing boundaries and taking advantage of them. They made a raft of recommendations that included learning about consent, listening when people say behavior makes them uncomfortable, and diversifying workplaces. A number of music industry figures have spoken to the spinoff about the practical and material changes they want to see in the industry. Long-running systemic issues are nowhere near fixed and permeate the industry from top to bottom. Those spoken to include women and non-binary people who have worked as musicians, technicians, promoters, managers, and label executives, whose experiences range from inappropriate jokes and touching, being made redundant while pregnant, pay disparity with male counterparts, to losing work due to not being men. Inclusion riders, codes of conduct, men stepping aside for non-male artists and technicians, and funding incentives are all changes that can be made right now. Stuff Magazine's investigation named Scott McLaughlin, the man who discovered Lord at age 13 and then managed her, who was stood down from his role as senior vice president at Warner Music Australasia after a 2018 sexual harassment investigation, also named was Paul McKesser, a director at CRS Management. He has since left the company, who initiated inappropriate relationships with two young artists he managed, former OpenSide lead singer Possum Plows and Lydia Cole. There are echoes of another movement that rocked the alternative music scene five years ago, when allegations of grooming and sexual assault by Cheese on Toast founder Andrew Tibble were reported by the spinoff. While many thought it would be a catalyst for meaningful change, others believe not enough has been done since. Wellington musician Kiki Van Newton says they have been a part of a number of initiatives around support and safety in music since that revelation and is frustrated that they've all come to a dead end. Countless conversations, email threads, Community restorative justice panel planning. The ball has always been dropped by white men who have the authority in that situation. Van Newton says external checks and balances must be put in place to force change. At a policy level, 
music entities should immediately commit to workforces that reflect society, including funding no less than 50% female and non-binary acts at festivals. Van Newton says that organizations like the MMF can't be a Wild West anymore, especially when older men are paired with younger artists who rely on them for guidance. I would like to see the MMM make it mandatory for all members to have undergone some sort of training on harm prevention and trauma-informed responses. There should be standards, and if they're not met, that should affect their funding opportunities. Saren Model works in event production and was the marketing director and on-air talent at studio radio stations 95BMF for seven years. She says industry professionals are already developing best practices that she'd like to see emulated more widely. She cites drum and bass act The Upbeats and their use of an inclusion rider, which stipulates that the lineup of acts and or technicians at a show or festival should meet a diversity threshold. I want more production managers proactively seeking out non-male techs, even if it means hiring someone with less experience, so that they have the opportunity to get more. She says individual responsibility is needed. I don't give a damn what the industry bodies do. I care what individuals do. And I want all men who claim to value and support us to show that with their actions. Make material sacrifices to support us because we are expected to make material sacrifices every day. Tour manager, former label owner, and drummer Fiona Campbell has experienced the fallout of similar revelations in her music circles in the U.S., where she lived for 14 years until recently. Venue owners, bar staff, and promoters have a duty of care to their patrons, employees, and talent in their spaces, she says. I want these people to all include safety of non-cisgendered bodies in their meetings and have a code of ethics backed up by some training. Everyone should have resources available and know, at the very least, what to say or not to say and how to interact with a situation in real time. After care is also important. Following up on a situation understanding things can come out or memories develop days later, especially if there was drugging or alcohol involved. To men who have been told they have harmed others, she says, center the harmed party. Campbell says too often their first response is to go into defense mode and use their relationship with other women to prove their innocence. Listen, from a non-defensive space, this goes for venue owners, bar staff, and promoters who hear about things happening at their shows or on their watch. Be mindful of making excuses and using your proximity to other women as shields. Campbell says ultimately men need to support each other to do better. Step up more for the emotional labor of retaining other men out of these antiquated ways. Lazelle is a musician, guitar tech, and audio engineer who has been working in New Zealand and Australia for over 15 years. She says working on music festivals, the hours are long and often involve sharing long van rides and accommodations with men who, quote, make you feel uncomfortable or unsafe. Major production companies don't take harassment claims seriously when you bring them up, and there is a gatekeeper over big gigs. It doesn't matter how competent a woman is, she'll have to fight tooth and nail to be a front-of-the-house operator at a big festival. I have been told in the past that a big corporate client doesn't want a woman out there because the CEO needs to trust the sound person. And I have turned up to countless shows and been asked, when is the sound man arriving? One of the founders of the three-day creative arts festival Girlfest, Kat Waswell, says the stuff story reiterated why events like theirs are still needed, particularly in leadership and ownership roles. 
women still need to provide safe spaces for each other, especially in these male-dominated creative industries. Waswo says as the mother of two boys, she hopes they grow up in a world where female leaders, musicians, and technicians have gained some equity in the creative industries and that there are easier avenues and support systems for victims to report issues and crimes without fear of losing their positions. Kate was a manager within one of four major record labels in the late 2000s and describes the culture as, quote, insidious and bullying. Quote, homophobia, racism, sexism, sexual innuendo, anything was up for grabs as long as it was framed as a joke. Women were called names like Flossie. They'd talk about what other women in the office were wearing. We'd watch a new music video and they'd be like, oh, she's chunked up. It became apparent pretty quickly that if you weren't in on the joke, you became the target of the joke. So the safest place was to be in the fold of the boys club, but you were never in the boys club. Touring artists and their entourages making sexual advances were par for the course, she says. And scenarios such as being asked to rep songs at a certain radio station because the program director had a crush on her were common. She was also made redundant while on maternity leave due to a restructure of her role alone. She says she knows of three women at another music label who were also made redundant, either while on maternity leave or just before taking it. Why do we have to deal with all of this stuff just to do our jobs? They don't have to. Kate worries that any material changes made by the larger organizations as a result of the latest revelations will be about how things look. Say the right things, put out the right press release, say you've got zero tolerance, there's an old guard that still exists, there's still a boys club, but I don't think that's an argument not to do anything. If they do implement protocols and a code of conduct, if there's training, even if it's done for the optics, it sets a precedent. I'd like to think the people coming in will be the start of a new, diverse generation of people who will disrupt the old ways. In 2020, Massey University was commissioned by ARPA AMCOS, the organization that collects and distributes songwriting royalties, to create a diversity survey of its New Zealand members. The resulting report offered some alarming findings. 70.1% of women had experienced bias disadvantage, or discrimination based on their gender, and 45.2% of women reported not feeling safe in places where music is made and or performed. Catherine Hond, one of the two investigators for the survey, is a senior lecturer at the School of Music and Creative Media Production at Massey University, Wellington. Some of the findings were, quote, upsetting, shocking, but not necessarily surprising, she said. We know anecdotally and from overseas studies that women and non-binary people have a not very good time in the music industry. But 70%, the fact that it was so high, was quite stark for me. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our Music Festival newscast and subscribe to our Deep Dives, our monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. Shambhala Music Festival to open a campground for summer 2021. In an announcement posted on the festival's Facebook page, festival founder Jimmy Bunshu announced that his family's farm, where the festival takes place, will be open as a campground in summer 2021. While many festivals rent space to produce their event, Shambhala is in a unique position to pivot to the campground model since the owners live and work on the farm all year long.
I know so many people have missed being on the farm this past year, swimming in the Salmo River, camping and relaxing in our beautiful valley, Jimmy wrote. Please rest assured, during 2020, the team wasn't sitting back waiting for life to get back to normal. We worked all summer to rebuild a new campground to help you get closer to home. Camping has long been a part of the festival's experience, with over 17,000 people descending on the 30-acre Salma River Ranch for the four-day festival. Ordinarily, the festival offers four campgrounds in five different lodging packages. How the space will be organized for the campground is still unclear. The upgrades that have been announced include more showers, washrooms, and RV services on a newly developed part of the farm. The festival has called upon its audience to help name the campground and submit their ideas for activities once social distancing measures are lifted in British Columbia. Public health measures permitting, Shambhala has also announced the opportunity to book the farm for private events such as weddings and family reunions. Representatives expressed that this new venture is a way to bring children and loved ones who wouldn't normally be able to attend the festival due to its strict 19-plus policy. Always keen on engaging with their community, the organizers have also announced several job opportunities to work on the campgrounds, including hosts, equipment operators, and builders. Now, we have linked this article in the show notes, and if you wish to apply, there is an email address in the article. The campground is set to open May 24th, 2021, and close on Labor Day, Monday, September 6th. Next up, Dutch government supports live events with $300 million COVID cancellation fund. So for the battered live events industry in the Netherlands, hope is coming this summer in the form of this government program that will financially back events if they are forced to cancel. This new $300 million euro cancellation fund is similar to other programs currently being offered in Austria, Germany, and Switzerland, currently being offered to events with a 3,000-plus capacity, but taking place after July 1st, 2020. The Dutch festival season, one of the most active in the world, runs 12 months a year, so we are expecting to see most pre-July events like Best Kept Secret and Park Pop pushed to the back half of 2021. In even more promising news, the Dutch government has confirmed permits for a series of back-to-live shows that are scheduled for February. Planned events include a concert, dance event, and two open-air festivals with the goal of learning how to safely hold large-capacity events. So here we are. Dutch is leading in its experimentation uh, to get the live events industry rolling again and has done what many around the world are clamoring for when it comes to festivals and those in the, li in the live music events business, and that is for government underwriting some sort of support, some sort of insurance, as done here by the Dutch government, if there should be a cancellation as a public health issue due to COVID-19. In trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel, I certainly hope that they succeed and that we can all learn from their results. Now, ladies and gentlemen, did you watch the dazzling official Tomorrowland New Year's Eve presentation? Well, if you didn't, or even if you did, you can now relive the magic of the brand's first ever virtual New Year's Eve event after they dropped its official after movie. Tomorrowland pulled out all the stops for the fest, which ultimately established itself as one of the biggest streaming events to emerge in the COVID-19 epoch. By the numbers, fans from a staggering 151 countries turned into the virtual celebrations. 
only reinforcing Tomorrowland's status as the world's preeminent global dance music event organizer. The festival's performing artists played for a whopping 21.5 hours and dropped 450 unique tracks, including a combined 65 unreleased IDs. Martin Garrix, David Guetta, Armin van Buren, Charlotte DeWitt, Diplo, and many more, setting the standard for the intersection of dance music and live streaming. We've included a link to the after movie in our show notes. Would you like to be on the show if you or someone you know is a journalist with a relevant article topic or can speak to a story we have covered? Please click or forward the guest sign up link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on. Don't be shy. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Okay, guys, so Coachella has been canceled. I knew it was coming. It's amazing that they held on for so long. They even tried to backtrack reports last year that was pushing the event into October. But finally, as stated in this quote, if COVID-19 were detected at these festivals, the scope and number of attendees and the nature of the venue would make it infeasible, if not impossible, to track those who may be placed at risk. And that sums up exactly why these large, non-essential events such as music festivals and concerts are really not going to come back anytime soon. So as was expected, Riverside Country's public health officer, Dr. Cameron Kaiser, signed an order that has effectively canceled both Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival and Stagecoach Music Festival which were scheduled to take place in April of this year. Now, prior to 2020, Coachella had gone on annually for nearly two decades without a hitch. However, that has dramatically changed, obviously, since the onset of the pandemic. In March of last year, organizers had pushed the dates out to October 2020, but continual restrictions around major events in the area ultimately forced them to delay the event until April of this year. Now, despite having their 2021 dates set, the summer of last year, public health restrictions have largely remained constant since then. Dr. Kaiser's office released the news of the order to cancel the festival via Twitter and an accompanying statement in the quote, this order is intended to reduce the likelihood of exposure to COVID-19, thereby slowing the spread of COVID-19 in communities worldwide. Now, Golden Voice, who is the promoter of both of these festivals in collaboration, has not yet communicated when they intend to reschedule Coachella and Stagecoach as of today. However, my feeling is they seem completely taken aback. We just mentioned a brand like Tomorrowland who pivoted right away even last year and created a beautiful online virtual event for a festival as big as Coachella, I mean, as soon as they canceled, it's as if the Pope had died. Every major news outlet, including fashion magazines, all the way to po politic magazines, were writing about the cancellation of Coachella. You would think that a festival that has this kind of name recognition would do something more impressive than just simply uh, um and ah and shuffle and, and, and make mistakes and backtrack on statements and not really have much direction. Will it hurt them? No, because, you know, frankly, they are a huge draw. They have the money to bring in some of the most uh, powerful 
live music acts that we know of? Has it lessened the fame? No. But has it made an impression? I mean, we should look very hard at this and know that, unfortunately, Coachella is not in the same level as Tomorrowland. Another festival cancellation is Florida's Sunfest. Now, organizers of the Florida Festival Sunfest canceled this year's spring event due to COVID-19 concerns among artists. Although there were plans to ensure the safety of all bands and guests, the performers were unwilling to take the risk. Paul Jamieson, Sunfest's executive director, made a statement about the unfortunate cancellation. Quote, we have seen a growing uncertainty from artists about putting their fans into a large music festival setting, he said. Given this feedback, we have determined that we cannot go forward for 2021. Sunfest without enough notable musical artists simply is not Sunfest, and we believe we owe our fans more than that. Sunfest organizers had plans to hold the 2021 event on April 29th to May 2nd with social distancing guidelines and mask requirements in place. In addition, there were plans for two fenced concert stages instead of three with secure social distancing seating. While we knew that hosting a traditional Sunfest would be challenging, we believed that the possible reward for our fans was worth the attempt, Jameson said. We were driven by the idea that our fans needed something to look forward to. Now, current ticket holders will have the opportunity to roll over their passes for the next year's event. In addition, they will be able to bring one friend for free. Oh, there's a nice bonus. For 40 years, West Palm Beach has held this annual event, bringing in thousands of festival goers every year. In closing, Sunfest did officially announce that the event would take place April 28th to May 1st, 2022 at the downtown West Palm Beach waterfront. Now, look, it's quite interesting that a festival uh, would, <laughs> would say we do this in the interest of of providing our fan base with a reward. And then on the other hand, you have the artists who are worried about the same said fans. I think it was their business interest that came first and their artists managed to hold them accountable and remind them that, um, look, large gatherings will cause infections and that will lead to death. Better play it safe. Rather than sorry, money is money. Businesses can be rebuilt, whereas lives lost cannot. Next up, there's a new music and arts festival planned in Black Rock Desert, but it's not Burning Man. Now, the group behind the Every When Project is planning a transformative experience on the playa. They have set their sights on Nevada's Black Rock Desert, the longtime home of Burning Man, operating at a similar intersection of music and art. The Every When Project describes itself as a nonprofit organization aimed at building community by way of supporting artists, individuals, groups, culture, and philosophy. The group is taking its mission to the desert for the launch of their inaugural event, The Electric Universe, which promises to be a transformative experience. We are building a new Playa family for 2021 and beyond, the group's website reads. We fund artists, dreamers, and builders who want to create reusable art and experiences to be enjoyed in the beautiful Black Rock Desert in Nevada. While it's not clear yet when exactly the Electric Universe will be embracing this new community of dusty nomads, the group is targeting this summer for the festival's debut. The team states that the event will be eight days in duration and is aiming to host up to 25,000 attendees. 
as the organization awaits the approval of an event permit, they are actively seeking donations while additionally recruiting artists, project organizers, and other volunteers to join the effort. Now, my first impressions here are good on them. I do like to see a strapping new organization trying to cut its teeth onto the culture of the music festival world. However, I'm having mixed feelings about, first of all, the wiseness of an inaugural event uh, during these uncertain times. The fact that they're still awaiting an approval for the event permit tells me pretty much everything, which means that that event permit will never arrive. <laughs> and finally, EDM artists react to tragic death of Sophie. The Grammy-nominated Scottish disc jockey, producer, and recording artist who had worked with the likes of Madonna and Charlie XCX has died following an accident in the Greek capital of Athens. She was only 34. The musician, whose full name was Sophie Zion, died in the early hours of Saturday morning, according to a statement from UK label Transgressive. Tragically, our beautiful Sophie passed away this morning after a terrible accident, the statement said. True to her spirituality, she had climbed up to watch the full moon and accidentally slipped and fell. She will always be here with us. The family thanks everyone for their love and support and requests privacy at this devastating time. Sophie, who was born in Glasgow, began releasing music in 2013 and worked with Vince Staples as well as Charlie XCX and Madonna. She first used her own image and vocals for the October 2017 single, It's Okay to Cry. The recording paved the way for Sophie's debut album, Oil of Every Pearl's Uninsides. Released in June 2018, it received a Grammy nomination for Best Dance Electronic Album. With her Grammy nomination, Sophie made history as both one of the first openly transgender artists to be nominated in the dance electronic music category and one of three openly transgender women to ever be nominated for a Grammy, according to Paper Magazine. Tributes have poured in from across the LGBT community, as well as many from others in the music industry, for an artist widely considered one of the most pioneering in the music industry. French singer-songwriter Christine and the Queens described Sophie as a, quote, stellar producer, a visionary, a reference, who rebelled against the narrow, normative society by being an absolute triumph, both as an artist and as a woman. She added, we need to honor and respect her memory and legacy. Cherish the pioneers. Grammy-winning composer, producer, arranger, and guitarist Niall Rogers shared his condolences over Twitter and praised the young artist. Sophie, you were one of the most innovative, dynamic, and warm persons I had the pleasure of working with. It is always sad to see anyone pass away, regardless of who they are. Life is fragile and precious, and we need to remember that every single day. It is a testament to her life that she made such an impact in her short stint on this world and that it will serve as an example and inspiration to many young transgender artists who are coming up in the industry and those in the LGBT community. Heaven knows that they've been oppressed and persecuted for far too long. And if there's anything that can help make their lives better, it is 
sharing and creating music that can touch people, not just in the here and now, but for eternity to come. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on another week's Festival Grasp. Make sure to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your chosen podcast collector, so you'll never miss us talking into your ears again. And while you're at it, if you find value in what we are discussing, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's like telling a friend about it, but better. And it gives us a chance in that big old world out there. I know we're just getting to know each other, but come on, show us some love. We're here for you. You're here for us. So let's do this thing. To sign up as an expert guest on the show, to leave us a question or message, or to jar tip your support, follow the appropriate links in the show notes. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our music festival newscast and subscribe to Deep Dives, our monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. This podcast edited by GBA Recordings. For me, Mario. And Shanae. See you next time. Bye.